John, I want to talk about something very near and dear to my heart. Oh, dear. On the television program, Arthur, Mm -hmm. there was a marriage between one main character, Mr. Ratburn, the beloved Mm -hmm. Mr. Ratburn, and another male character. Mm. Now, obviously, this has rankled the world. Of course. (laughs) Yes. And it doesn't date this episode at all, even though this happened about three weeks ago. But I wanted to expose to you a stunning fact. Did you know Arthur was still on the air? I I wasn't surprised by it. I Mm -hmm. knew that... Oh, you weren't surprised. Oh, you weren't surprised by anything. I was not aware, but I was not surprised by the fact that Arthur was still on the air. But also the fact that Mr. Ratburn was kind of gay. Like, let's (laughs) be real. I mean, we haven't watched the show in, like, two decades. But I remember uh, Mr. Ratburn being particularly fey. (laughs) So that's one thing I wanted to point out. Back when we were watching the show, when it first premiered... Obviously, there would never be anything close to a gay wedding or a gay character, an out mm. gay character. This on was before Ellen, so. guys. This was pre-Ellen. Yes, or during Ellen. It doesn't matter. The facts don't mm. matter. But <laughs> so, I I think we should commend your progress and the fact that the show is looking at something that kids like Arthur and Muffy and all the other uh, assort assortment of characters in whatever town they live in. Mm-hmm. Actually, expose them to maybe what they'll encounter in everyday life. All right, so that's that's a positive thing. However, yes. I will point out that this gay marriage is not actually good. Why? And there are a myriad of reasons why, John. First mm-hmm. of all, who is Mr. Ratburn marrying? Uh, someone we've never met. Exactly. I don't, I don't know. Exactly. What? So he he gets no character at all. Is this tokenism here? I don't we think just it's put... tokenism. It's just that kids. It, it's from the perspective of Arthur and the whole interesting thing about being a kid is when you see your teacher outside of work or you get any kind of detail about their personal life it's like oh this is strange this is weird so that, i think that totally fits that's point number two what sicko teacher invites their students to their wedding okay that's a little strange but yeah. it's because it's a big political moment greg they have to be invited they, they have to be like, oh are is- they using the children as props john are they thinking what about the children yeah, of course. Well, no, they were probably like, all right, we'll, we'll invite all the kids, all the, his beloved students, who, by the way, he's had his students for 22 years, so he's yeah. probably a pretty <laughs> bad teacher. Let's be real. So they're inviting him as like a, a teachable moment. It's like, look, kids, gay people exist. Yay! I, yeah, that's fine. Also, there'd be no plot if they didn't go to the wedding, Greg. Come on. <laughs> that's, that's true. Well, exactly. Come up with something different. Come up with something more plausible than having a teacher invite their students to the wedding. I can't think of a worse idea. Because, again, it exposes you to your students outside of the professional environment. Remember, Mr. Ratburn is supposed to be a stern teacher. He's supposed to impose oh, fear yes, yes, on them. Absolutely. Well, and I don't know if he's stern. By humanizing himself, he would never do that. I think he's... I don't, I don't know if he's stern. I just think he's... Because he's, uh, he's friendly. But he does... Uh, I think the main thing about his character was he did assign a lot of homework. Oh, okay. Oh, it's yeah. just the homework. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It was, but he wasn't particularly stern. He was it's not that he wasn't particularly fun loving. It's just he assigned. He was he was tough on them. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. And and point number three, Mr. Mm-hmm. Ratburn, per his name, is in fact a rat. Yes. <laughs> and he's marrying an aardvark. He is now this another aardvark. Okay. Interesting. Yes. And what is the criticism that back during the culture wars of the early 2000s, what is the criticism that uh, every uh, right wing psycho had about gay marriage? Yeah, it would lead to bestiality, which. (laughs) Yes, what's next? Like, are people going to marry their dogs? (laughs) (laughs) Which sadly hasn't happened yet. I mean, we've had gay marriage for over 10 years, at least. What I want to know is how how does all the speciesism work in the Arthur world? Is it kind of like Zootopia, where there's like kind of inherent racism? 
where it's like, oh, he's marrying an aardvark. I had a sneaking suspicion he was into those. <laughs> I don't know. I, I have a sneaky suspicion that they have him marry an aardvark just because it's clearly the easiest animal in the Arthur <laughs> universe to draw. It's just three circles. <laughs> this is or three true. ovals. Yeah. <laughs> Which, th- w- it's weird if you actually looked at the original Arthur book that all of this is based on. He looks nothing like that. He looks like an anteater, like a real aardvark should. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Now but, he's just like now he's just like an oval. What? what anyway, we could go on for a million years on, yes. about Arthur. Indeed, we could. Uh, thank you for indulging me, John. In these, okay. these are the arguments that I just had to express. All Thankfully, right. we have an avenue to do this via the Aspiring Snobs podcast. Yeah, welcome to the Aspiring Snobs podcast. Ostensibly a movie podcast, but we we use this as a platform, a launching pad for our new lifestyle brand. <laughs> Yes, we've got a new line of t-shirts available, as every podcast must. <laughs> and high-end denim. I'm really proud of these materials. Um, we only show, we only source the best denim. Yes. And so you can get your own jean jacket uh, available now for only $800. <laughs> is this like, is this sold through like Kanye West's website or something like that? It seems like it should be a, a unique partnership with him. No, no. Well, we're trying to ape off his success. I mean... Oh, okay. Yeah, we're obviously very religious, as you see. We oppose gay marriage and <laughs> every other socially progressive thing in the world. So, I mean, and Kanye West is all about the religious right. I mean, he's always Absolutely. doing Sunday services, always talking about how black people slavery was a choice. Guys, remember that. <laughs> I want to know what church uh, Kanye is attending. I don't. The, I don't want him stealing Christian Valley here. The church of himself. <laughs> yeah, <Right>. that's true. <laughs> It's pronounced Jesus because I <laughs> exactly. I've yeah. decided it's not Kanye as in Jesus. It's Jesus. So mm, of course, yeah. I mean, scholars will be debating that for centuries to come. But yeah, John, we should probably get to the movie we're talking about, huh? Oh, I suppose if we have time. Yes. But yes, this week to celebrate the 30th anniversary. It's uh, what 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 anniversary is that? Correct? Diamonds or is that uh, China? I don't know. Uh, the 25 is silver. 50 mm-hmm. is gold. I think 60 is platinum. That seems a little arbitrary, but... Okay. <laughs> Actually, what am I saying? They're all arbitrary. But 30 years. Pretty okay. pretty big milestone. Yes, we're yeah, This movie's an adult now, all right? <laughs> it really should move out of the house and get a, get a proper career going and you know, settle down now, but... I mean, it lived longer than uh, Julia Roberts' character. Wah, wah, Ooh, wah, 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 wah. Don't, don't spoil it yet. We haven't gotten there. <laughs> but yes, this week we watched Steel Magnolias. Don't talk about me like I'm not here. Oh, 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 she's making some sense now. Yes, she is. This one was not bad at all. It was not bad at all. No, I think we need a little more juice. Could I do something to help? No, no. She'll be fine. Don't fuss over her. Normality's very important to Shelby. Here, Malin. Thanks. I'm really sorry about the children part, Malin. I know. Shelby's afraid that Jackson will be throwing away his chance to have children. Jackson said, Shelby, don't be stupid. There's plenty of kids out there need good homes. John, this was your first exposure to Steel Magnolias, was it not? This is correct. This is not my first time seeing it, only my second time in many years, and also I was fortunate enough to see uh, the play staged uh, among friends in North Carolina back when I lived there. So uh, this movie takes a lot of liberties, it turns out. And so (laughs) I I, I worry that my criticisms probably stem from 
the play from which this movie spun off from. Um, it's written by Robert Harling, who was inspired by the passing of his sister um, from complications from diabetes. So, again, we've already spoiled uh, death will factor <laughs> into the plot in what is a, a ostensibly a pretty light comedy about women in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that would be my first major criticism of this movie. This is the whitest portrayal of Louisiana. <laughs> I think that has ever been committed to celluloid. I could be wrong, but... Yes, I've used this analogy before, but this is a minstrel show for white people, particularly white women. <laughs> I guess people from the South in general, because every character, while they do have you know, their own distinct personalities, is kind of like a stereotype in one way or another. I, I guess. I'd say the only actors that really equip themselves are the most are the top flight in this top flight cast are the ones the academy award winners like sally field mm. uh, she plays the major she's the lead even though this is an ensemble piece she's really the first among equals she plays may lynn who's the the matriarch of this big southern household you know what she does for work or what her husband does for work all the details don't matter <laughs> the point is they're in this like gorgeous house on the bayou like you know brick giant kitchen like all that so that's kind of the the mise-en-scene uh, and she's going to marry off, somewhat reluctantly, her daughter, played by Julia Roberts. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's marrying a wealthy lawyer from, yeah. more, but even though he's from Mississippi, he's a wealthy lawyer named Jackson, played by oh, the steely eyes, Dylan McDermott. <laughs> mm. See, I, I wasn't getting a lot from D- uh, Dylan McDermott. I, I was actually getting uh, serial killer vibes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the men definitely get the shaft in this movie quite a bit. Yes, so the play, there are no men in the cast in the mm-hmm. original play. So when they, when they really kind of fill out all the details, the men are basically, this being a uh, from the women's point of view, all the men are pretty much boobs. Exactly. Yeah. So and they're all it kind opens... of like running around doing their own thing, acting like yeah. idiots, or yeah. worse off, just kind of like laying around doing nothing. There's no real portrayal of like a good marriage in this movie. All of them <laughs> no. kind of seem like they're struggling a bit in their relationships. I mean, with the exception of Olivia Dukakis' character, because her husband's dead, and I guess so is <laughs> I guess so is Weezy's, Weezer's as well. We, is it Weezy or Weezer? It's Weezer. Okay, and it's Weezer, and this is really baffling, or it should be it should be pronounced Weeze because it's we based on the French word for yes, mm-hmm. yeah. and which is really baffling if you look at the credits. But anyway, she's marrying off uh, her her youngest daughter, excuse me, her oldest child, her um, only daughter, only daughter. Yes, she has two brothers who are also boobs. They're <laughs> trying to chase out all the birds from their uh, wedding reception area with fireworks and guns and yeah it's a it's a whole nightmare um thankfully we get a we're introduced to this world via daryl hannah's character Annel, mm-hmm. um who's really mousy really shy but she comes in on this opportunity to be a beautician with uh, our other main character and this is where the play takes place and i think the key scene does this is at the beauty salon of truvi who's played by Oh my gosh, I completely forgot her name. How could I forget the name of Dolly Parton? How dare you? (laughs) Yeah, I know. The magnanimous, the indescribable beauty, Dolly Parton. The one and only, yes. (laughs) Although, I I wonder if you abide by her philosophy that nobody's naturally beautiful, otherwise she's out of a job. (laughs) (laughs) I I totally believe that. I mean, she was already, Dolly Parton was given two beautiful natural assets, but uh, (laughs) her wit and and her voice, okay? What did you think I was talking about? (laughs) Because the other two I'm thinking of are not natural, but... um, (laughs) Also, Julia Roberts kind of um, uh, puts a a fork in that theory, but... um, Yeah, okay. (laughs) I have a 
point. No, not really. He just remembers you fondly, I think. Well, I can't imagine why. He was not a bad fellow. But I managed to run him off and marry the first of two total deadbeats. Well, maybe sometime I could arrange for us all to get together. Maybe not. Well, why not? Shelby, I managed in a few decades to marry the two most worthless men in the universe and then proceeded to have the three most ungrateful children ever conceived. The only reason people are nice to me is because I have more money than God. Now, I'm not about to open a new can of worms. Weezer. What? If this is really how you feel, it isn't healthy. Maybe you should think about coming down to the guidance center and talking to someone with that help. I'm not crazy, Malin. I've just been in a very bad mood for 40 years. Okay, so that is the weird thing, I think, about the cast. Is Sally Field does feel like she's, being, she's too young to play this part. Because everyone else kind of feels like they're in their autumn years uh, to a certain extent. And Sally yes. Field feels... Like, she's a little too young to be marrying off her first child. <laughs> yes. Let's be real. She She's eternally young. She's also the only one that's not a Louisiana stereotype. I like she's not true, She's yeah. not leading into the accent too hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, Julia Roberts does, but it's convincing. Uh, um, Olympia Dukakis and, and Dolly Parton are basically playing caricatures. Although Dolly Parton's basically playing herself. I mean, you really <laughs> need to be a linguist to, to distinguish her Tennessee accent from <laughs> a Louisiana one, but... Uh, what did you think of the the women itself? Like when you're introduced to the whole thing, it is a little exaggerated and ridiculous. But were you like drawn in by the world, or um, to a certain extent, I was. I was kind of drawn. Like knowing that this was based off a play, I kind of gave it the benefit of the doubt. So yes, mm-hmm. the characters a little caricaturish, and the way they play them is a little over the top and theatrical. So um, I kind of bought that. I think the problem, what kept me at an arm's length, is this is very much this movie. To surmise, it's basically a warm bath. It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's pleasant. It's yeah. shot, you know, very eye level. The music is very kind of rote. So, at the end of the day, like, there's not a lot going on, like, sur- like technically wise, like surface level wise. But I do think it's buoyed by these performances and these women, and the story itself kind of takes some interesting directions. So it's like I want to give it credit for that, and I think if you're going to check out this movie, that's what you should be invested in. Yeah, it is basically, as you said, a warm blanket. Uh, mm-hmm. There's nothing really challenging. The only conflict we see, at least in the in the early going, is the women rolling their eyes at uh, Malin's husband, basically acting like an idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also she's also neighbors with the Weezer character, who's now this old crone. Uh, she's very wealthy, but her husband is dead, and she's somewhat estranged from her family. It looks like she's only got a dog, a, a mangy dog, to kind of keep her company. Exactly, and she's always yeah. constantly fighting with. Um... Uh, his name is Drum. Uh, Madeleine's husband's name is Drum. The man, oh, yeah. again, as if it weren't obvious enough, these men are like complete dips. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Truvy's husband is also named Spud. <laughs> yes. Spud, in a connection to the episode we ta- uh, talked about, or excuse me, the uh, movie we talked about last week, Paris, Texas, that was written by Sam Shepard, who's also a playwright. And this was also based on a play, so maybe that's how they got connected or something. Mm. But. I don't know, maybe he was just working for SAG credit, because he, he has no character at all. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think it's finally when we get to the beauty parlor scene, that's where the kind of story comes together, and yeah, we rely on the chemistry of the these actresses, and not, say, not get distracted by underwritten male parts, or their, their other, like, th- storylines that essentially go nowhere, really. Mm-hmm. 
And, of course, the main conflict of the story is between Mei Lin and her daughter, uh, played mm-hmm. by Julia Roberts, and as she's growing up. And it's hard for her to let go, not just because, oh, that's my oldest child, but also because Julia Roberts has uh, diabetes. Uh, now that we're kind of told that, that's kind of, I feel like the first act twist is she kind of has like a diabetic seizure like really quickly and you're like, what's wrong? And then, you know, because all the characters know, but our, the audience doesn't know what's going on. The other thing about um, Shelby, which is Julia Roberts' character, is yes. she wants to eventually have a child, but her body obviously would not be able to handle that given her diabetic situation. Yes, that's what the doctor told her. That's what her mother warns her. So mm-hmm. that's that's eventually what's going to kind of rear its ugly head. Now, I want to go back to that scene where it's first revealed that she is a diabetic. She's in the chair, like getting her hair did. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Truby steps away, and then she starts to have a have a shake, have an episode. Mm-hmm. And this is where the the camera like pushes in, and it's the only sense that the uh, the tone is changing. Mm-hmm. And it is a little bit, I think, too histrionic. Like I actually, it it gave me some unintentional laughs because then they insist like, <laughs> drink your juice, drink it, and that's the line <laughs> that stuck out with me because <laughs> she needs sugar, obviously, to 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 maintain her insulin level. But it, like the way the way that it's portrayed, I think, was done a little bit more tastefully in the play. <laughs> okay. Here, here it's like, uh, like no, um, no child left behind. Like we have to let her know, have to let the audience know that this is serious and needs mm-hmm. to be addressed immediately. So like the the score is uh, loud and histrionic. The, oh, the, the music is terrible tight. in this movie. Just overall, the music it's just yeah. like da 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 da. It's like soft elevator music. It's really bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. But that's just kind of a weird scene because, again, it sets up the central conflict between Maylin and Shelby. But it's weird because Shelby kind of, like, pushes back. She's in the midst of this diabetic seizure, but she's like, no, no, I refuse. I won't have any orange juice. <laughs> and it never seems like it comes from a sense of, like, I'm an adult. I can take care of myself because you're literally having, like, a medical episode. <laughs> like, this is beyond, like, you being a mature human being. Like, you obviously need help, so... Well, there are plenty of other signs that she's being independent. For mm-hmm. one thing, she's going to stay on being a nurse. Again, being a, it being in a motherly, uh, it's a big cliche at this point, but being in a motherly, big-hearted profession, like being a nurse or a teacher, that's unfortunately a, a profession that a lot of female women in movies are kind of consigned to as like mm-hmm. shorthand. Like, women are this way and men are this way. But anyway, she wants to keep her job, even though like uh, her husband can support the family on his own financially and so her mother insists like oh why don't you just settle down and just become a homemaker like me so that's one sign so there are these little signs that she is independent um also when she gets her hair cut short ah that's also true yeah so yeah like ah, the new little... styles guys the new styles <laughs> yes this movie is extremely 80s which yeah. <laughs> i think kind of works in its favor because you know you have that whole kind of generational divide which doesn't become like a huge part of the story but yes that kind of the short hair scene kind of really throws a wrench in things and kind of shows the contrast between the two personalities. I believe Dolly Parton literally calls it out, too. She says, like, it's the 80s. Like, women, <laughs> women could be a little more independent, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, that's in the context of talking about Dara Hannah's character. Yes. Um, which, her for someone who's meant to be our introduction, like the, the you know, POV character for the audience, yes. she's really ditzy. And one of the big arcs about her character is, you know, she comes into town, she's mousy, she's quiet, she's estranged from her husband, so she doesn't really know what to do with herself. And then the next stage, we see her kind of in party mode, like she's kind of gone wild and out. And then after (laughs) that, she turns into like a religious fanatic. Like, 
it's very strange. If she's meant to be like our, our point of view character, maybe they should be a little more consistent. I don't know. <laughs> or less of a caricature, I suppose. Maybe more of a normal human being? I don't know. That's true. Well, I don't think being a normal human being would kind of fit in with this very not normal world. <laughs> I that, guess that's true, yes. That the, the writer has conceived here, or at least is portraying on stage and on screen. Uh, I do like that she's shy, and at least, well, because we cut long long periods of time between scenes. Like, the, I, forget, I think the wedding takes place in the spring, and the next scene we're at, like, 4th of July, then we're at Christmas. And so, like, there's it's we're talking long distances between time, so I think we do want to see, like, characters grow. It wouldn't have made sense, especially when she's in, given so much confidence by Dolly Parton's character, for her to, like, remain mousy. Um, mm. But also because she's a, a character on the periphery, it also doesn't make her to make. It also doesn't make sense for her to be just like human and kind of a background extra. Instead, she has to stand out and be on her own. And also, she's key at the very end, like being the only other young character that we have mm-hmm. to instill this theme that life goes on. That's true. So let's let's get to the main the main crux of the plot, and also why this movie has a reputation of being a weepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because eventually. Uh, Shelby does have a child, mm-hmm. and eventually the complications from the diabetes do catch up with her, and eventually she falls into a coma, and they let her off life support. And yes. it's up to the family to deal with the tragic loss. And when I say family, I really mean Maylin, because she's yeah. the only one really care about. It's just that when something like this happens, I pray very hard to make heads or tails of it, and I think that in Shelby's case, she just wanted to take care of that little baby and of you, of everybody she knew. And her poor little body was just worn out. It just wouldn't let her do all the things she wanted to. So she went on to a place where she could be a guardian angel. She will always be young. She will always be beautiful. And I personally feel much safer knowing that she's up there on my side. It may sound real simple and stupid, and maybe I am, but that's how I get through things like this. Exactly, and I wanted to contrast this, because I think one of the reasons this movie has endured, both being a dramatic weepy, because i got to be honest, it works. (laughs) Mm, Well, I mean, that last scene kind of nails it, despite everything else that happens in the film. When we finally get to the funeral scene, you know, Sally Field fucking hits it out of the park. And that is just a yeah. brilliant scene, like the way it's staged and just all the women together. It's just perfect. Oh, I want to talk about before that, the scene taking place entirely in the hospital. And it's almost wordless and kind of done oh, for montage. Yes. It's wordless and musicless. I think that's kind of the key difference. Like we talked about how ridiculous it was when they introduced, like, drink your juice and you know, yeah. how, how we resolve this initial conflict with the diabetes. But when it comes to its its conclusion with her in a hospital bed and Sally Field not leaving her aside. There's no music. All the dialogue is now completely realistic. There's no snappy one-liners. There's no, like, husbands or brothers, like, acting ridiculous. Instead, it's played completely solemn and true, to an extent. And I know we talk about tone a lot in the the movie, and I think normally we would deride a movie for, like, having these wild shifts in tone. But I think, like, here, the way it's portrayed is actually works incredibly effectively, and that's why, like, it really does draw draw it out of you, um, the kind of the pain of this, the loss of this young life. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I, I think what also lends to the fact that it, that it is true based on Robert Hartling's personal experience. Like, I didn't even know that going into this most recent rewatch. But, like, it's still, like, you know, emotionally hit my cold, cold heart. So, <laughs> I mean, for me, the scene that really nails it is the graveyard scene. Yes. Because we kind of, we see Sally Field kind of go through this whole transformation. She's just a flurry of emotions. And, you know, Daryl Hannah has kind of comforted her with the thought that she's in heaven now. She's a guardian angel watching over all of us. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for the briefest of moments, she seems calm about it, but then, you know, she flies off the handle again. She's like, I should have gone first. You know, this isn't fair. I just want to, I just want to hit someone till they feel as bad as I do. Yep. Uh, the camera work is also handheld instead of like, like you said earlier, everything was in a wide or Mm. so like that little change also affects things beautifully. So, yeah, it's it, and of course, Sally Fields, like one of the most <laughs> exceptional actresses on the planet. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, she does well. I didn't like the little the way it reaches its conclusion is with a laugh. Like she she intones that like, oh, I'm so mad, I want to hit something, and it's Olympia Dukakis' character who throws like Weezer <laughs> at her, like hit Weezer, <laughs> and I that mean, requires a scene later to deflate. What really deflates attention is a scene later where she and Weezer have to reconcile. So yeah, they have to become friends again. Yeah. I don't know, that kind of worked for me because if the story is built on this relationship, this friendship between this, uh, you know, coven of women, let's call it, <laughs> um, I, I think it, it's great at, you know, uh, breaking the tension, but then also it's like, this is kind of what their relationship's about. They're all here for each other, and they can all kind of lift each other's spirits, and they all have something that they offer each other, and that's what Olympia Dukakis's character does. She's she's the one who kind of grounds everything. She's the, the wise one, the smartest one, I would say, of the group, and so okay. I think it makes sense that she's the one who would diffuse the tension and, you know, kind of bring everything back down to earth. Not yeah. that everything wasn't, you know, the death, obviously, is a very grounded situation, but still. Yeah. Really, it's a movie about family. <laughs> it's not just the family you have, but also the family you choose. Um, I think Steel Magnolias was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> By the way, the title is never really alluded to. No, in there's the one reference to Magnolias, and there's one reference to men being made of steel. But really, yeah. I think it's the women who are made of steel, don't you think? It's, yes, it's, this, it's their steely resolve, I think. Mm-hmm. And also... Enlightened by the fact that life goes on, even in spite of all the CFCs that um, Dolly Parton's <laughs> a beauty salon is throwing into the atmosphere and destroying the ozone layer. But other than that, we're good. Life does go on. <laughs> they all died of cancer a year later. <laughs> From the chemical plants on the bayou. I know. <laughs> all that refinery gas. They, they ate crude oil via the, <laughs> via the fish they tried to eat. Don't eat fish in Louisiana. But my daughter she never could. Good. I'm so mad. I don't know what to do. I want to know why. I want to know why Shelby's life is over. I want to know how that baby will ever know how wonderful his mother was. Will he ever know what she went through for him? Oh, God, I want to know why. Why? Lord, I wish I could understand. No. 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 It's not supposed to happen this way. I'm supposed to go first. I've always been ready to go first. I don't think I can take this. I don't think I can take this. I just want to hit somebody until they feel as bad as I do. I just want to hit something. I want to hit it hard. Here. Hit this. Go ahead, Malin. Slopper. Are you crazy? Here. 
Canada. Are you high, Clary? Clary, have you Look, I've been to Louisiana a few times. Um, I can't really say that this is a very uh, accurate portrayal of it, but I get it. This is well, you didn't be... go in and live in these neighborhoods, did you? I like get, I, I've, I've spent some time in New Orleans, Greg, okay? All right? I like to thank I know. <laughs> wisdom, that, Greg. Uh, you develop wisdom when you go down there. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope... John, one day you do become an actor and commit a brilliant uh, Nonlands <laughs> accent to screen, and then later we can have that wired like dialect coach or something. <laughs> <in> these... <laughs> well, Greg, obviously you know my first breakout role is going to be of Truman Capote. Okay, obviously I need to, <laughs> if I'm going to reach stardom, it has to be with a one man show. So yes, and that's and that's exactly who you should do. Don't ask permission from the family or anything. Just no, of course. Go for it. <laughs> I'm just going to do it. Yes. If no one not, can stop me. I'm breaking yeah. the paradigm. Yeah. If not, rename the character to be Crewman Chapote or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have fun. We have fun. Indeed we do. John, how about a little bit more fun, huh? What, more? I mean, we could just end here. Exactly. Oh, gosh. They demand so much of us. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, John, we deliver. We stand and deliver every time. Speaking mm-hmm. of which, we apologize for doing two 80s movies in a row. We try to switch it up with... With decades, I think this is the first time you've ever done two movies from the same decade in oh, a row. Gosh. But... I didn't even realize. Damn, you yeah. should have warned me. Gosh. I know. I, I, it's fine. It's fine. Nobody cares. <laughs> All right. Fine. Yeah. If you do, write to us at aspiringstumps at gmail dot com. But before then, mm-hmm. we have to give you some recommendations in our signature segment, Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Greg, what do you have to recommend? John, I I want to recommend a wonderful evening I had this past week. It was a movie night among friends, and they made a delicious Italian dinner. But I also want to talk about, I'll call it the poison of nostalgia, because we watched a movie that they I had never seen before, but was beloved in their hearts. This is a movie from 1999. This movie is also celebrating an anniversary. Okay. Yes. And wow, 10 years, huh? Come to think of it. Yeah. <laughs> it just flies by. And think of all the great movies that came out in 1999 Fight Club, The Matrix, Being mm. John Malkovich. Mm. A lot of insufferable movies that the, yeah. only the worst <laughs> film fans like. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, I guess the, the movie we watch isn't, un- isn't insufferable, uh, but it, it has a nutritional value of candy, I'd say. Okay. I'm talking, of course, of the Brendan Fraser starring uh, Stephen <laughs> Summers directed classic the mummy oh my yes. my my so I, I gotta say hugely inspired by indiana jones obviously the original mummy that is trying to remake mm-hmm. but also hugely inspired by indiana jones and a lot of other like things of the era i, I will say special effects still kind of hold up really to an extent, yes. Oh, okay. I think the opening shot is brilliant. It's this long tracking shot over. There's a big long prologue that basically sets up the whole movie, uh, <laughs> that sets up the whole conflict. It's a very, very complicated, but that opening shot like does work. It's a, it, I believe it's a completely rendered like shot of Egypt, like not in its ruinous state yet, and it still like drew me in. That, that was still very well done. There are some effects, like uh, this ghostly effect that uh, is reminiscent of the movie Casper from 1996. That oh. that hasn't aged. That hasn't survived the HD era. Um, However, it's called The Mummy, not The Ghostly Things. Okay, <laughs> where is this Where is this weird effect coming in? I don't understand. The weird effect is coming in because, John, the plot couldn't be simpler, okay? Mm-hmm. Th- uh, back in, I believe, 1200 BC, 
Imhotep uh, has an affair with the pharaoh's wife. Ooh, saucy. Yes. Now the pharaoh uh, kills herself rather than face the consequences. However, Imhotep Imhotep is captured, and he, alongside his soldiers, are buried alive and mummified. Mm -hmm. So he is interned in a place called the City of the Dead, which people think is is somewhat hidden, but many archaeologists think is filled with wondrous treasures. Oh. Yes. So fast forward to 1922... And Brendan Fraser is part of the French Foreign Legion. He's trying to defend the city. Um, unfortunately, he fails. However, there's ghostly visages, and so the invading force kind of escapes, and they run away. Mm-hmm. Fast forward three years later, and a ditzy <laughs> librarian named Rachel Weiss and her brother, whose name is Jonathan, who's an actor I can't remember, they come across <laughs> artifacts that find th- that could reveal the location of the City of the Dead. Okay. And they need Brendan Fraser to guide them. Mm. However, there's another team competing against them of four Americans, excuse me, three Americans, and an Egyptologist played by the great Jonathan Hyde. (laughs) Okay. Yes. So they have to go find the City of the Dead. So they're competing to quickly get to the City of the Dead. They both find it there, but then they find two different artifacts in the thing, and Imhotep is revived, and then he has to get the artifacts that the American team found, but he doesn't know that they have, that uh, Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weiss have the key that will unlock the Book of the Dead, which is one of the artifacts that... It's way, way, way too complicated. When does Tom Cruise crash a Harrier jet or a cargo plane into London? When does that happen? Okay. (laughs) Unfortunately, that doesn't happen. You know what else doesn't happen? What? At this point in 1999, not one character says, show me the mummy. Oh, what a a missed opportunity. Huge missed opportunity. (laughs) Exactly. It would have gotten riotous applause if anybody said that. Unfortunately, they don't. Uh... The, the movie is lifted by the, the wonderfully hammy spirit of Brendan Fraser. Mm-hmm. I think that's what really carries the movie is like his hammy acting alongside uh, Rachel Weisz, who's, who's, again, an extremely skilled actress, but kind of playing this uh, kind of one-note uh, ditz. Uh, unfortunately, I wish she did get to play a few more dimensions, like uh, being a bit more, let's say, steely, <laughs> um, alluding to the movie we just watched last week, as well as also being an action hero. Unfortunately, the men kind of carry the day. And uh, the other disappointment is, with with all this setup and all this exposition and all this complications from the the, the mysticism of Egypt, uh, their their solution to everything is just guns. Of course, there there are more gunfights in this movie than like a John Wick. So, <laughs> which doesn't really make sense given its setting of the 1920s. Like, what, are they using Tommy guns? Like, guns uh, I, I saw some bolt action the, rifles. Okay, all right, fair yeah. point. Yes. I was going to say, like, historically speaking, but I don't think history, history was in anyone's top concern when they wrote this movie. Exactly, yeah. I, I will say that was, the, that was the fun part to, like, um, point out, like, oh, he's, he's not showing a lot of good gun discipline there. Like, that's that's the issue that you should take mm-hmm. with a movie about the, the, the mysticism of a, of a pharaoh resurrected, you know, two 3,000 years later. Got it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I... I I think looking back, this movie probably has a lot more kind of cachet today because it does actually have some personality as opposed to movies that are born today, which, uh, you know, have absolutely no personality whatsoever. Yeah, it's not like market research down to like a, a shadow of its former self. Mm-hmm. I will say it still has a lot of charm. The special effects still hold up. 
And, like, yeah, it does ride a wave on the great lead performances by its actors, who, like Steel Magnolias, are playing kind of broad caricatures and really histrionic performances. Yeah, but I mean, that's also kind of the point, because this is obviously meant to be kind of an old-school uh, action serial-esque story, where they're obviously aping off, you know, Indiana Jones, which was aping off those serials and those classic adventure skits as well yes and if only they could just simplify it a little bit Mm. i think i would have said like oh that's a perfect fun masterpiece but as it is like the the pharaoh also has the power of the 10 plagues of egypt um (laughs) even though that was moses and god that brought it down again it doesn't matter they throw it all in there and you know me like i like something simple and streamlined Mm -hmm. not like you know i don't want my plate full (laughs) of all these disparate uh flavors and textures and stuff just give me like one simple meal and unfortunately this gave you like an assortment of 50,000 different candies um some of them very good candy but yeah by by the end of it i was just i was just feeling full and i could full of this analogy that i've that i've stretched thin (laughs) okay cut yeah (laughs) but anyway if you watch the mummy today i still think it's enjoyable um in many aspects i mean it's a good youtube movie maybe just pick out your favorite scenes on youtube (laughs) I mean, when are they going to use it to launch a whole new cinematic universe? This would have been the perfect starting point, right? I, I guess. Yeah. The problem is like that that dark gritty approach works for Batman. It does not work for the Mummy. It does not work for a 1930s like uh, Universal horror picture that then becomes like an Indiana Jones serial. That doesn't. Mm-hmm. That yeah, you could have seen that from thousands of miles away. Universal, come on. <laughs> Greg, they don't know anything. Come on, it's not. It's not hidden. They're like following the, the, the death, trends. Right? They're following the trends. We gotta make I it dark. Know. Gotta I make know. it a cinematic universe. Ugh, I know. Foolish. We're t- trying to protect our phony baloney jobs, as I <laughs> as I often hear. Okay. <laughs> well, Greg, I got to schlep to the theater and catch a recent release because Ooh. now I'm part of AMC's A list, so now we end up going to a lot more movies that we normally wouldn't have bothered with. Um, but I'm glad we did. With John, I know. I'm glad we did. Uh, Obviously, the box office receipts don't really matter, but uh, this weekend we got to check out Olivia Wilde's directorial debut, Booksmart. Yes, I'm glad you brought up box office because she did send out a, a tweet that went viral mm-hmm. regarding like encouraging people to see it, but she justified it by saying, you know, like let's let's make sure the market speaks on on smart comedies centered around women. Mm, still, kind of felt a little desperate to me, but okay. whatever. <laughs> But John, the laugh's desperate. It's the movie desperate. What's the no, movie? No, the movie about, is not really? desperate. The movie okay. is about um, the movie is a coming of age story between mm. two female friends. Um, they're both, again, as the title implies, very book smart, um, and they've worked their asses off to get into Ivy League colleges. One has gotten into Columbia, the other has gotten into Yale. Okay. Um, but unfortunately, you know, graduation rears its head, and they realize that for the last four years they've had their noses stuck in books and they haven't really had any fun. Um, and it also it turns out that all their kind of loser slacker classmates all got into good colleges as well. One who like didn't even show up to class half the time now has a six-figure job at Google waiting for him. So, mm. <laughs> um, so the two girls, uh, Amy and Molly, uh, Amy is played by uh, Caitlin Deaver, and Molly is played by Beanie Feldstein. And Amy's kind of the more wallflower-esque one. She's kind of quiet. She's uh, kind of an out lesbian, but she doesn't really kind of uh, act on her instincts or try to like go after anybody. Molly's definitely the A-type personality who's kind of always pushing her and driving this crazy scheme. And so the scheme ends up being that they hear there's a raucous party 
being held at someone's house and they need to get there. This is going to be their last big hurrah before graduation. And it's just, it's funny because they have this whole scheme planned out. They, it's fun watching them kind of like plan for this whole night of extravagant partying. And they're like, uh, you know, hand sanitizer, chapstick, mace. Like, <laughs> even though they're like trying to let loose and have fun, they're still like obviously plan- over planning and overthinking it way too much. Mm. Um, and obviously the night goes horribly awry. It's very much in the same kind of vein as uh, Superbad. You know, it's like a ladies' night out for super bad. But yeah. what's interesting about I was I was taking extra particular attention to kind of the directorial style because I wanted to see what Olivia Munn or oh sorry I keep calling her Olivia <laughs> Munn Olivia Wilde was trying to do and yeah. uh, a, a lot of close ups. Obviously, okay. she didn't get the memo. Comedy's a wide shot, girl. Um, <laughs> That's a but, stupid axiom, and you know it. <laughs> okay, whatever. But I think she she does a lot of close ups because. Um, a, I think a lot of the actors probably couldn't be on set at the same time, so and oh, everybody okay. is body doubles. But then also, I think she wanted to show that this was obviously a well-scripted movie, so there doesn't feel like there's a lot of improvisation, and she's not trying to go for like the same like kind of broad style of a of a super bad or kind of a heavily improved comedy. So and the and the script really does work. There's lots of good setups and payoffs in this in the story, like. They end up with eyes of going to this one party hosted by, you know, the, obviously the biggest jock in the class, but obviously they end up at another party first and then another party by accident, and, you know, mm-hmm. you know the whole night becomes... And the funniest reoccurring thing is that they have a friend named Gigi who's kind of like wasteoid drug addict, yeah. but she always ends up at the other party before them and always ends up there. <laughs> <laughs> and she just kind of like pops in. It's like, hey guys, where have you been? <laughs> Okay, so it's a lot of fun. It's a really fun movie. It's and it's really clever. Okay, I, I guess that's good. I I am a little off put when you said that they couldn't get actors in the same like room at the same time. Yeah, but I didn't recognize the names that you said the two leads. I mean, they sort of look familiar, but like uh, who really like stands out as like kind of the comedy superstar? Because um, I would say probably Molly because Molly's kind of the more kind of buffoonish one. Amy's much more grounded, so I think okay. like Molly's kind of the one that dri- kind of more drives the comedy than Amy does. And because a- I think Amy, because she has that kind of like lesbian subplot, she kind of has a little more growing to do, so her story feels a li- just naturally a little less comedic. Okay. Is there actual romance, John? I mean... Uh, kind of. Uh, again, that would be giving away too much if I if I. Oh, okay, it. I see. Yes, because oh, let me tell now you. Now you're really enticing me to go see. Hmm. I mean, Greg, look. Will friendships be tested? Will there be a third act breakup? <laughs> Potentially, but I don't Potent- want to spoil anything. Okay. <laughs> yes. Well, now I think it's cliche because yes, as every story must, characters must break off. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there. that's yeah. and that's kind of the weird thing about the movie is it is obviously trotting well-traveled ground like the you yeah. know the bookish nerds like want to break free but uh the style is interesting like the filmmaking is interesting and the performances are really good so and the and the script is really tight it's a tight script okay. mm, yes mm, <laughs> <zhuzh. laughs> so when you say like the direction is interesting the one thing that i took away from the trailer is how kind of like dark it looks mm-hmm. um which seems to be right in a24's wheelhouse because this is distributed by a24 mm-hmm and I think that's the other thing that really drove Olivia Wilde's tweet about going to see it in the theater and giving them box office because they had a pretty rough year last year mm. at the at the at the box office. So 
I don't know. Yeah, and because we love A twenty four movies in general. Um, yeah, but they can't uh, rest the on their they can't rest on their moonlight laurels forever. Let me tell you that much. And that's true. Yeah, mm. and under the Silver Wake, notwithstanding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> did you say Silver Wake? I think I did. Yes. Okay. That would be it. See, if they had just named it that, then the movie would have worked. <laughs> exactly. Out of the hipster neighborhood, Los, neighborhoods of Los Angeles, and get us to Silver Wakes, um, <laughs> which are like waves made of quicksilver. Um, so they're very deadly and very dangerous. And it becomes, it comes at night instead. <laughs> okay. I love that you called it quicksilver, you old timey doctor, you. Yes. <laughs> this will align your Q zones. Just a dab of this will do you. Until I thought of wake, like as in as in awake from a boat. Oh, so you were thinking so, of like quicksilver, like the the surfing. The company. actual, yeah, liquid. <laughs> I'm more of a Volcom by myself. That's just me. Okay. All right. <laughs> oh, well, Greg. See. This has been kind of a, this is well, I'm looking at the timer and this has kind of been a short one and that's fine you know I, the, the the people we need to you know limit our supply I think we fed the people too much mm, that's true and now we need to draw back uh, we need we need them to wanting more instead mm. of less well if they want more where can they find us outside well, this it. podcasting sphere. Well, of course, they can find us on every social media platform, except for most of them. We're talking <laughs> Facebook and Twitter. That's about it. We're not on Instagram. We're not on Snapchat. I'll, We're not I'll, on TikTok. All right. I'll start. I get it. I'll start this Instagram channel. Gosh. All right. I, yes. Keep... People want to see us recording. That mm. way, that'll feed into live shows where we just stand on stage like idiots. <laughs> and... Well, first, we'd have to be funny first for us to actually oh, get booked yeah. on a live Gosh, show. Gosh, that's hard. <laughs> um We'd have to actually get some like real talent, so yeah. Ugh, that's not working. That's not yes. happening anytime soon. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. If any, in any event, if this episode did not satiate you, you can find us on social media, mm-hmm. particularly Facebook and Twitter. Mm-hmm. You can also reach out to us directly on those platforms or at aspiringsnobs at gmail dot com. Yes, with your questions, comments, and recommendations. We're taking recommendations for classic movies you want us to talk about. So please, come along. Come along with us. Absolutely. I, I'm glad that I did get a chance to see The Mummy and rake it over some coals. <laughs> that said, I, I'd be happy to experience any other movie suggestions that folks have, mm-hmm. whether they star Brendan Fraser or not. Exactly. And probably more likely. We'd more, we're more likely to see if it does star Brendan Fraser. Okay. So. <laughs> and once you're done with all that, you can go to your podcast service of choice, wherever you're listening to this. You're listening yeah. to this on Stitcher. You could be listening to it on Apple Podcasts. It doesn't matter. Because what you can do is scroll down and give us a five-star review. What do you say? Come on. Come on. Help a brother out. Come on. Come on. Come on. It'll help more people find the show. Exactly. And you'll be helping build the Aspiring Snobs community together. Yes. And one thing that helps build that community... Build that community. (laughs) Build. (laughs) One thing that helps build that community is when you get to watch the movie along with us. So you'll know yes. what the heck we're talking about. So if you didn't see Steel Magnolias this week, you can catch up with us and become snobs yourselves by tuning into the movie we're watching next week. John, what is it? Uh, next week will be, we originally had this scheduled for earlier, but then the unfortunate passing of John Singleton made us shift things around. So next week we'll yes. be revisiting the 39 Steps. Yes, the original Alfred Hitchcock, although it could have been his American version. It's the one released in 1939, I believe. So, okay. Yeah. It's on the Criterion channel, a, a service that we really like so far. Mm-hmm. We're, we're digging it. We're dig- Again, we're classic movie aficionados now, so obviously we're digging it. Yeah. And I look forward to seeing a bunch of uh, long black and white movies in French. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hell yeah. 
Yeah, Greg's all about that life. All I mean, he, he tries life. to recommend, like, the mummy to look like he's a man of the people, but, I mean, come on. Greg thinks he's better I, than you. I, I don't think. I know that I'm better <laughs> than most people. And if I pimp these services, like the Criterion Collection, maybe next year I can get an invite to Cannes. Um, Ooh. Yes. It was really a kick in the balls when a friend texted me, like, in wondering, like, if the new Quentin Tarantino movie was any good. And I'm like, oh, how the hell should I know? I'm not in France right now. <laughs> I didn't get to go to the premiere. I didn't get to participate in yeah, the but Greg, you're always standing ovation, which they give every movie, like, a standing ovation. Yeah. Greg, you're, you're always, you're fingering the pulse all the time. So it's, you follow these things. <laughs> Did and you I say assume, I'm fingering the pulse? Yeah, you're always fingering the pulse. So... <laughs> So, like, you've probably read, I assume, at least two to three reviews of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Have you not? Uh, at least three at this point, yes. Yeah, see? See? So, what are critics saying, Greg? This well, is the second to last Quentin Tarantino movie we're ever going to see, so yeah. we need to know. Yes. His first non- or his last non-Star Trek movie. <laughs> oh, okay. That we're ever I see. forgot, yes. I forgot. <laughs> He's also making a Star Trek movie. Because that makes sense. That makes sense. He loves... He He's a child of the 60s, John. Of course he loves Star Trek. Okay. Fair point. Yeah. And like Wes Anderson now, he's just playing in his own little sandbox. So. Okay. <laughs> I mean, but Star Trek was never projected on a drive-in, so I assumed he's never seen it. <laughs> yeah. That's not, that's not to say he doesn't have affection for the world. I think that's really what he wants to explore. But. Okay. I mean, he's he just seems like Grindhouse and Western. I've never pictured him ever doing like a sci-fi picture. That's why. Um, I could see him do it. Well, here's the thing. The reason he loves Western and Grindhouse is because I don't think he's found a movie that he's disliked. Quentin Tarantino mm. literally loves everything. Yeah, that's uh, true. The movie Dan- Django Unchained has that little word. It's appended Unchained because it's an allusion to Hercules Unchained, which is a, a movie so bad it was featured on MST3K. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I've seen <Yeah>. that episode. <laughs> So that's that's how much he adores movies. Even one as bad as like bad Italian, badly dubbed Italian movies that make no sense. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> yeah, mm. uh, good for him. Good for yes. him. Yes, yeah. So look forward to us talking about Hercules Unchained next week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thank you everybody for listening. And until next time, in the not too distant future, somewhere in time and space, there's something about a guy named Mike or Jonah or whoever's in the show now.